Howdy, welcome to another week of Cannon Calls. I'm your host, Jake McAtee, and this week was a special week as we hosted Jeremiah Roberts from Apologia Studios podcast, Cultish. We were also joined in studio with Jess Hall, who is the CEO of Cannon Press, and Forrest Dickerson, illustrator extraordinaire and recurring guest of the podcast. We talk about all things weird, capital W weird and the Christian life. The genesis of the cultish podcast, cults, Bethel, and hanging out with aliens, and whether or not, even if it works, it's a giant waste of time. Without further ado, meet Jeremiah Roberts. All right, welcome to another episode of Canon Call's special guests this week. Jeremiah Roberts is here and in town from Apologia Studios and the Cultish Podcast. Yeah, man. It's good to be here. Thanks for coming in. We also have recurring guests, Jess Hall, CEO of Canon Press, who's Howdy. been on once. And then everybody's favorite episode, Forrest Dickinson. Hello. Is also on. And we've gathered because I wanted to do Canon Calls meets Cultish. So why don't you tell us who you are, where you came from? And why are you running the Cultish Podcast? Well, yeah. So, uh, my name is Jeremiah Roberts. And if you listen to Cultish, I, I always say I'm one of the co-hosts here. To start, Cultish is, a, is sort of an extension of what Apologia Studios originally was, which originally, even before Apologia Church started, it was known as Apologia Christian Ministries. And, and Jeff and Luke primarily were focusing in on apologetics, uh, specifically to different cults. Uh, the focus in many ways was just uh, on Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And that eventually was still part of, and of our focus. But as we started our own radio program, we started becoming a lot more broad, talking, talking about different social issues, uh, talking about abortion, uh, just talking about a broad variety of topics. And so more that focus on apologetics began to be uh, shuffled a lot. So that wasn't really a complete focus. And so to have really a, a section of Apologia Studios that was focused in on evangelism, uh, ministry, uh, really content creation for the area of the cults. And Cultish came out as a byproduct of that, having a, a podcast specifically on cults. I think one of the main influences of and inspirations of the podcast as well was uh, Dr. Walter Martin. Uh, if any of you have Kingdom, our, of yeah, Kingdom of the Cults, which is still to this day, one of the most definitive works on the subject of just of a lot of the historical cults. And, and yeah, and one of the things he did is that not only was he amazing as far as really speaking apologetics to in people's native tongue in a way that people could understand, but he also knew how to leverage and master the media of his time. So in many ways, one of the things that he was really good at, I mean, and here you guys are, it, you guys are doing all this content distribution, both digitally here now, and you're also doing it via press you know, literally out there with all the different books that are being sent out. And I was saying earlier, I love the smell <laughs> as I walked in. I'm just uh, of all that. But back then it was tape cassette distribution was really his thing and audio cassette. And he was able to get the me his message out there to so many people who were impacted by his ministry. And there's amazing because there was also some video uh, and audio of him where he was talking about wanting to build something that was this information center that anyone around the world could go to this information center and they can get any piece of information on any different cult or world religion. And in many ways, he was, 
I think he was trying to articulate the internet before it even existed. So needs to say, he just really leveraged the media of that time. So that's kind of in many ways, the, the short story of kind of where cultish came from. We've been in a good spot to really bring a lot of conversations that are in, on a lot of people's minds right now. So what about you though? So Luke and Jeff kind of spearheaded and, mm-hmm. and where did you come from? Why, why are you the guy for cultish? Yeah. My story is also, uh, it's just very interesting right now that, you know, sometimes you wonder how things come full circle in your life. And so what happened is that I kind of grew up in the homeschool ghetto and just being in many ways, just like a sheltered nerdy homeschool kid. And really, and that was a, in many ways a good thing. And I think that especially now there's a good emphasis for that. But knowing kind of where I grew up in, the majority of people were always those who agree with me. So most of the friends were homeschool co-ops of other Christian groups. So in many ways, when I first went to high school, um, and it was a, it was a small charter school, and my mom's health was in a place where she really couldn't facilitate homeschooling anymore. And so we didn't want to go, my parents didn't want me to send me to public school, but they wanted to send me to at least something. They couldn't afford private school. So the perfect in between was a charter school that seemed to have a lot of moral values and a lot of American patriotism, what have you. Uh, it was a, a small school uh, over in Mesa, Arizona called Heritage Academy uh, that just so happened to be 98% Mormon. Um, all the faculty and staff were from Brigham Young University. And so in many ways for me, I think I was around 15 years old at the time. That was the first time where I was just surrounded by all these people who were part of this different culture. So in many ways, I feel like I got for two years, I was as close to the Mormon culture as being a Mormon. Like I went to their houses, I hung out with them. I even went to some of their uh, services at their ward just because I wanted to know what they were about. And I wanted to understand what were they, how were they different than me? And so that became this whole process of just wanting to actually get into the Bible and understand what our differences were. So I ended up getting a hold of a book called Letters to a Mormon Elder by a guy you may have heard of, uh, James White. And that was the first book on apologetics I ever read. And that led me to going to a presentation at some local Baptist church in the area of him, of Dr. White, lecturing on Mormonism. This is around 1996 or 97. It's hard to remember. And so I went out there and just like talking to him and he invited me and my older sister to go with his group to the Mormon temple. Because at that time, Alpha and Omega Ministries had their own team out there uh, handing out tracts at the Mormon uh, temple back when they would do their Easter pageant. So that was just going out there and being part of that was sort of my introduction to that whole world. And then a couple months into that whole process, someone gave me a copy of Kingdom of the Cults. And then a couple years later, after high school, was at a Starbucks reading a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And I, some guy came up to me and looked at me like with very exuberant eyes. And he, and he said, are, are you Christian too? I was like, yeah, who are you? Uh, that just so happened to be Jeff Durbin, uh, a 25-year-old Jeff Dur- beardless Jeff Durbin, believe it or not. There was a time where he didn't have a beard. Wild. All that sort of accumulated and, and we... Uh, re- and so Jeff and I reconnected. It turns out we actually met at the temple that the first week I went out with James White. We just kind of tagged him one night and kind of went our separate ways for a couple of years. But yeah, that led a whole process of getting back into apologetics with him. And, you know, we would listen to all these Walter Martin tapes together and kind of being into that. <laughs> so yeah, so here we are all these years later okay. now having this podcast about it. So in many ways, you know, it's like I had friends I cared for who were sincere and good people and they just believe something different. So a lot of it, that passive 
having that experience of wanting to evangelize and reach those sorts of people is kind of where that came from. And so that's always sort of been like my passion topic in many ways. One of the things on on the drive over we were talking about is a, one of the goals for the episode was to sort of demonstrate how uh, I believe probably all of us know one person in our lives who's like way deep down the holes. Yeah. And it just sort of takes you. Uh-huh. So we know that person, but then we <laughs> <laughs> then we also know people who I feel like they have less and less of a of a branch to stand on now where it's just like immediately any kind of that thing they get turned off. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about it. You know, that's mm-hmm. all crazy stuff. What I wanted to do is I think Cultish demonstrates this and like I said, for like it's a thing in the office that we talk about these things. I wanted to basically do that. And and you you were saying one thing that I thought was really good about culture that's been sort of we've jumped into the secularism. Yeah. And then things like the Joe Rogan experience who with the numbers they have, which are very close to Canon Call's numbers. Mm. <laughs> uh, as the you know normalizing the dmt like there's all kinds of stuff happening and people yeah. are actually listening can you go into that like a little bit of what you're talking about in terms of like that heart behind cultish as well so one of the things too is that we wanted to try and promote the podcast in a way that isn't overtly christian in a sense almost like a trojan horse into the culture at large so in many ways when it just when it comes to podcasting this is just something to, to think about if, any, if you want to create a podcast, usually what, how you describe it, you're usually going to attract that audience. So there's podcasts out there, uh, for example, on covenant, it'll be the Reformed Covenant Theology Baptism Variety Hour or something like that. And that's great. Like, God bless them. You just need to realize if you're going to do a podcast like that, that's just, that's extraordinarily micro niche. But what we try to do with something like cultish is, it's kind of a vague and arbitrary word and people kind of get it. You know, it's, it's sort of saying like this is, this is like part of a cult, but without saying it. Okay. And right now, thankfully, we're in a spot where that almost describes the entire world. So everything from the spheres of politics to even like media manipulation, you can make a uh, contrast with that till just in a lot of ways, just the, the current spiritual climate of where we are right now. And so, yeah, and it's true. So we, what you want to do, and in fact, I actually got this idea from uh, Doug Wilson in his book, Rules for Reformers. He said, if you want to create reformation in a particular era, area, in this case, dealing with cults and, and fringe and really taboo topics, you need to figure out who the top dogs are in that area and focus in on them. So that's why we would focus in on the conversations that are currently happening on the Joe Rogan experience. So when you hear conversations with people alike, uh, Russell Brand, and uh, who is a for, you know he used to be an actor in some of the earlier movies with Jonah Hill, but now he's normalizing a lot of the you know the Kundalini awakenings and and all these all this sort of Eastern spirituality. Or people like Joe Rogan, one of his companies he co-owns uh, is called Onnit, which has really good fitness products and has a lot of good ideas. But the owner, I don't think he's a co-owner anymore, is Aubrey Marcus. Uh, he's also someone who has a lot of really interesting ideas that had a lot of really Eastern non-Christian ideas. It kind of gets normalized. So in many ways, like you're seeing that and then, and there's a lot going on in the world politically right now. And usually during times of political uncertainty, that usually is, is a vacuum for people to try and want certainty. And they're almost willing to believe anything to sort of have that. 
And that's why you see the appeal of different groups like QAnon, where you just start going down this rabbit hole where you try and explain everything. And it's almost like there's this hole of the secular conservatism. And that's why you start having these things for certainty. And that, and that's where you get those weird spiritual undertones. Um, what you're going to probably see too is with the new Biden administration, uh, there were a lot of people previously in the Trump administration who weren't that open to the idea of, of UFO disclosures and exploration, figuring out what those sorts of things that are going on. So that's more than likely going to be happening as in the next couple months of the, of the Biden administration. So what you'll be seeing is a lot more documents of that coming out. I just but, found out like yeah, yesterday yeah. that uh, part of the COVID relief bill is stipulation that Congress has to has like 180 days to release everything they have. On yeah, UFOs. I saw that too. Yeah. Wow. Like, <laughs> and yeah, like what you're saying with, you know, when in times of uncertainty, political unrest, whatever, people, when the idols in the country are coming down, people yeah. are desperate for meaning or, or just something to hang their hat on. So it's like, whether it's like big tech or like higher ed or mm -hmm. the government, you, they see it just like shot full of holes and they're like, well, let's talk about UFOs. <laughs> right. <laughs> because something like there has like something there's greater a giant than me. crater where, yeah, all the distraction was, all the power was, it was just a crater that everyone can see. And so, mm -hmm. we have to go find some meaning somewhere. And now we've got, you know, Commander Fravor and Tic Tacs and, and yeah. drug, you know, uh, Graham Hancock and Joe Rogan just being like, oh, this is, we can move on from this, the secularist materialist philosophy that kind of, we like ran the reductio all the way down to the end. There's mm -hmm. nothing there. It's totally bankrupt. Right. So, it's like the wild west of in the spiritual realm oh, yeah, in America. Absolutely. And, and man, in many ways, the new, new age is in many ways is the new atheism because you get to deny the God of the Bible, but at the same yeah. time, you get to be spiritual. Yes. Instead yeah. of just being a strict materialist. And that way you can kind of have some sort of explanation that somehow you're inherently a spiritual being. Right. What's interesting though, real quickly, and you guys can ask, you know, throw any other things in the conversation of what we're talking about here is that just when it comes to the broad picture of UFOs, that UFO sightings always lead to UFO encounters, but also that always leads to an attempt to contact these aliens or UFOs or entities. And how do you do that contact? It's by usually going to some sort of altered state of consciousness or participating in something that God says don't do, going back all the way to Deuteronomy 18. So there's an episode we did with uh, Sheologians. You guys may have heard of their Summer Jaeger and Joy, and Joy Hunter. And so the first episode is called Cross, uh, I think it was Contacting the Other Side. So a lot of the alien, there's a guy named Dr. Stephen Greer. And what he does, he takes all the government secrecy and he says, well, the government hasn't been honest. And people are like, yes, yes. And you see that right now, right? Because it's true. <laughs> and, yeah. And people will buy that. And but then they say, well, now we have a special way where you, you can get over the middleman of the government hiding up the UFOs by going through this whole process to do alien contact. And what it really is, is just ancient occultism and doing and getting yourself into a realm that the Bible has a basis to explain that this is real, but just because something is real doesn't mean it's good. And so that's, that's just one example of what you're going to see uh, really just become a normal thing. There's an app, right? Yeah. For Stephen Greer's little methodology for contacting mm -hmm. UFOs. Yeah. And I, I tried watching that doc. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, I think it was called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so he calls about CE5 experience. Yeah. So he talks about the, there's different levels of, a, of, of alien encounters. And the fifth kind is where he gets into talking about going through these processes to 
get over and contact the other side, but it's strictly a spiritual experience. Human initiated contact. Yes. Right? So third kind is where you have contact with the being. Yeah. Fifth kind is human initiated contact. I don't know what fourth and second is. Yeah, I, I lost track of it, but it just it always just consistently goes down that path. And you mentioned you got into our episodes with Tom DeLong yeah. <laughs> and what, and the stuff that he's been doing with To The Stars Academy. Yeah. And he talks about it too. He went out, I think, with Stephen Greer out to the desert close outside Area 51. And coincidentally, he started being waking up at three o'clock in the morning and, ga- and being in contact and having some sort of encounter or contact with some sort of alien looking being. Like there, we, There's a point of reference where the Bible actually has a basis to explain it. Because the Bible, right. in many ways, is a real, di- it's a dimensional book. Like there's a, there's a heaven, there's a heavenly realm, but there's also the earthly realm. And there's a basis for that. There's ways in which to access the heavenly realms in a good way through Christ, but there's also no fly zones. And that's, that's near, if you think of an example for those of us who are older, the Cold War, you would have areas in which, regardless of your intentions, even if you didn't mean to, if you cross over into that no fly zone, you're putting yourself in danger to be shot down um, in many ways. So, yeah. Who, who, when you said the after sightings, then they, they moved to point of contact, mm-hmm. who is they? Who are you talking about? Yeah, so usually what Stephen Greer will do, this is just okay, one so of the- These are the, like those guys. Yeah. Okay. So, when they're talking about initiating contact, it's usually doing some sort of new age or occultic ritual to summon up these encounters. So, in many ways, they're- contacting demons uh, in many ways to really try and make sense of that because ultimately that's that's just one of the fascinating aspects that ufology always leads to things that god says don't do so right. yeah so usually the contact when it gets to cei initiating that contact it's done through doing something whether it's microdosing or getting into an altered state of consciousness to be able to you know, really contact us. There, there is mediumship in many ways. The weird thing is that it's now, you know, like I said, there's like an app for that. So it's like yeah. technology <laughs> right. mixed with ancient, bizarre rituals. So like um, the, th- the thing that I kept coming back to is like after watching like, all these, like looking at all these comments from the Stephen Greer app saying like, you know, we went out and we did a little flashlight thing and had our lawn chairs and we saw lights in the sky, you know, mm-hmm. all these um, contacts that people ha- would have by doing what the app told them to do Mm -hmm. or just like it gave them this sense of like deep meaning and purpose but it was just i mean it was lights in the sky (laughs) it's like it was it was so impotent you know where like the the christian worldview we can put all that stuff in context Mm -hmm. and we know that christ rose high above all principalities and powers right and so even if you're trying to like mess with the angelic realm or whatever it's not it doesn't have the same potency that it did before the right. resurrection. And so, yeah. it's like, either way, it's like, even if nothing terrible happens after you, you, know, you make contact with the other side, whatever, it's mm-hmm. just a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and it's like, it seems like that's something would, you know, if there, if, if there is demons, like that, that would be a, you know, in one sense, a good use of their time is just to like mm-hmm. make people just distraction. Like, yeah, there's something here when there's not, or there's something here that's not as, um, but yeah, it's just like, I think another good point that hopefully I think it's something that I've learned and it's uh, some people have mentioned it too. They've been able to appreciate, get a better appreciation and understanding of is that a lot of times, and especially there are people and like when we did that, we were talking about earlier, when we did the series on Bethel, one of the main things that, uh, that came out of it is that people, there's a lot of people who experience a lot of hurt and a lot of pain from a lot of the hyper charismania 
as far as that whole movement goes. But in many times, what happens when somebody experiences something bad, they swing in the exact opposite direction. So in many ways, there's a tendency for a lot of people when they hear things about the supernatural to completely dismiss it and almost like a reverse pantheism where everything is physical. And if someone comes up to you and is saying that, I'm seeing, I've encountered these beings. I went to my friend's house when I was playing with his Ouija board and I started being woken up at three o'clock in the morning, which is typically happened. It's happened to me like at times where I hardly know it's like spiritual oppression. And a lot of times there's been a lot of people in issue would say, oh, that's all in your head or just this, you're not really getting that. I've had a deeper appreciated understanding and other people have too, that when someone who's a former new ager talk, is explaining to them the things that they've encountered is to affirm that experience. And ultimately we have to test all experiences by scripture, but we actually have a biblical basis for understanding if they were in an area they, they, they weren't supposed to be, because we can't see the unseen realm with our eyes. We only can see the physical around us, but we have a point of reference in which to make sense of that. So I've had a deeper appreciation now for that. And so now when I have, you know, I have a, someone who's going to be a potential guest, she was into the new age as new age could be. Um, she, we posted a picture of her back in 2012 where she's outside the Mayan temple and, you know, getting ready for 2012 and everything <laughs> that was going to entail then. And, you know, she was really involved in Burning Man and all the craziness that happens there. And some of those things, when she was telling her, her story about the things that she's seen in the unseen realm, if I was told that, if she just came out to me even three years ago, I would have had no point of reference like okay this is you're just you're you're a little kooky or whatever you want to say it but now when i hear that stuff it just doesn't surprise me i expect it i think in, in many ways you should expect it just because like i said there's a point of reference for understanding that so seems like that's what's great about your show is that there's plenty of people that have had real experiences yeah one way or the other drug induced demon possession some flashlights flashlights mm -hmm. yeah and you guys don't say, isn't that crazy? Like have them on the show and say, isn't this crazy? And then go on to like give a gospel presentation. You dissect it and then offer, like it fits into the Christian worldview to have supernatural yeah. things happening. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of Christians would just be like, oh, that's bad. And, you know, it probably mm -hmm. is. But they would say that's not even real. Right. And you just need the gospel. Carry on with your life. It's not a supernatural book. Yeah. When the Bob Lazar stuff was happening and the Tom DeLong, yeah, things were happening, and and really, what's funny? I mean, Joe Rogan was like helping keep that on pace and helping keep sort of everybody in the know, um, mm -hmm. for better or worse. But uh, I noticed just around as like conversations happen around the office, it was sort of an indictment on me of like tracking with like, no, I my Bible has categories for this, or like, no, of course, like. Not only our Bible, but it's like, haven't you ever read the, you know, the Ransom Trilogy? Have you never read yeah. That Hideous Strength? You know, Lewis was calling a ton of this a long time ago. And so, some of it just being like, man, I got to be a better Christian. Yeah. I got to know my word better. And all of what the word has to say. Like, one thing that came to mind is you guys were talking is a while back. What was it? Remember the, what was the conference that John MacArthur did a long time ago? That said, all the charismatics oh, really about the, crazy fire, that, strange, the fire. strange fire. Strange fire. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, Doug, shortly after that conference, there was a radio show overseas that had Doug on mm -hmm. as a representative cessationist. 
so he was sort of team uh the macarthur team right representative and it's a radio call i think you can find it on youtube somewhere but what i really appreciated was um doug was saying as a cessationist you know i do believe in terms of the gifts Right. All of that is over. But also, we don't believe as Christians that the world runs on gears, like it's a clock. Mm -hmm. We believe it's a weird world, like it's a yeah. very strange world. And so, yeah, keeping that up, like, and I think that is what you were talking about in terms of the oscillation between like, nope, all of a sudden now you sound like a materialist. We're like, nope, that doesn't happen because yeah. the world runs on gears. All of a sudden, we don't sound like Christians in the defense. God is a person. Yeah. And, and just think about a lot of the things that, that happen here, both the Christers and 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 in the literature here at Canon Press, there's kind of this consistent, you know, sort of talk about dra slaying dragons, right? right? Or the slaying Leviathan. And, and I think Leviathan comes in like many different forms. And so, in many ways, when you look at what the Bible talks about in regards to spiritual warfare, like, and even, even what you're seeing right now in the world as far as what's going on with, with, with stocks and people wanting to uh, be unethical and whatever is and isn't happening, uh, things that, you know, controversial issues leading up to the election, what the Biden's administration is doing now, uh, when it comes to abortion, when it comes to, um, you know, normalizing transgenderism and all those things, that's, it, it's almost an outward reflection of what's going on in the unseen realm of what you're seeing, because what it's, it's really mankind under the, by, under the wrath of God who's inherently a spiritual being who spoke the world the physical world into existence so you are seeing that so it's good to have that level-headed view and you can't yeah and it's good to have a, where you acknowledge you need to have views of both because if you right. swing one way you could just say everything's physical then you can swing the other direction you go into way Gnosticism right. and secret knowledge and, and things like right. that too and it's not always a bad impulse like there are a ton of people who are very into the occultish kind of conversations that you're like oh i don't actually want to be like them at all like I said, obviously threading the needles, the move. In terms of changing it up a little bit, what we were talking about just before we started, one of the episodes that sort of changed your podcast, or at least, you know, seemed to signal boost your podcast mm -hmm. was the Bethel Conversations. Do you mind catching us up on like, what was the context of the episode and what was the content of it? That was really the episode that kind of really kind of put us on the map for a lot of people. Uh, that just simply came about because we were getting messages to uh, just to talk about the group, I only had a point of reference of watching a movie by a filmmaker named uh, Darren Wilson, a movie called Holy Ghost. And he'd also had done, uh, I think, a movie called Finger of God, Father Lights. And they all kind of have the same sort of titling, uh, so forth and so on. And so I didn't really know a whole lot about it. And I just happened to connect uh, with a young lady named Lindsay Davis, who was attending the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministries. And I became friends with her on Facebook, and she attends Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, but she's sharing Paul Washer, John MacArthur, and kind of all these people who don't really would be like jiving as far as what Bethel believes and teaches. And so I just messaged her out of curiosity. Uh, it just turns out she had gotten kicked out of Bethel roughly 15 minutes prior to me just messaging her on Facebook. So we began to commune back and forth. She sh kind of shared me a couple of different videos of just some really interesting things going on. I'll just say that at Bethel. And then I said, all right, well, let's just, you're on your way back from Redding, California, back to your home, and you're going to come here through Arizona. Why don't you just come to the studio and just talk, and talk about what happened? And it was this culmination. I think she left in a kind of a controversial fashion. She put a, a Facebook event announcing that she got kicked out of Bethel with all these like crazy videos. And that 
led to a two to three thousand uh, comment thread on Facebook. <laughs> so we announced wow. that she was coming on a podcast to kind of do a tell all. You know, we said we just did a three hour tell all with Lindsay Davis about what happened at Bethel, and I just said let's let's come in here. So it's kind of interesting the lit- how your literature sort of played had a role in how we promoted Bethel. So initially, my idea was to be as inflammatory as possible with the promotion of it. But we also, we never called it a cult. Like we wanted to just initiate conversations and get people talking so we could better understand it. So in many ways, the artwork, if you look at Defecting from Bethel, the idea of having the students on there, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable about showing their faces. So like, what can I do here? And also I remember the cover of How to Be Free from Bitterness by, James, uh, by Jim Wilson. <laughs> so we did the exact, that scratching out of the faces is a direct result of that so (laughs) yeah so when we went on there and we you know talked with her and it just exploded i mean i think the our download amount included astronomically and i think what really happened it was we just happened to be at the right place at the right time and captured this area of kinetic thought of really a conversation that almost everyone wanted to have and we were the perfect catalyst for that so it's it's been and we still get messages to this day of people in many ways not even because we've kind of i feel like we, we we've kind of moved on from the bethel conversation in the sense that i feel like everything that we've done we've played our role in regards to that i think it's the perfect conversation but we still get messages to this day of people who have had a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in similar churches and had similar experiences in many ways it was kind of helpful for them to have a point of reference of what happened to you. Cause in many ways, whether it's an extreme charismatic church or some sort of cult where there's a lot of spiritual abuse, there's a lot of gaslighting that takes place where you feel like you're the only, you're the one who's crazy. But all of a sudden when you hear someone else who went through the exact same experience experience, and you'll hear this too, when you, if you ever hear, if you watch, for example, Scientology, the aftermath, uh, you'll hear all these with, um, it's a fantastic series. In many ways that was, also inspired me to start cultish because I would see all these people who are cult survivors and they had the shared collective experience where they had spiritual abuse that happened, but ultimately they didn't know Christ and there was no real tangible hope or point of reference. So they kind of say, oh, well, now I can think for myself. Well, how do you know you're not going to be deceived again? Like G.K. Chesterton says that an open mind is no different than an open mouth eventually has to bite down on something. So, so yeah, that's kind of the Bethel thing in, in, in sort of an, in a nutshell um, as far as what happened. But it was just, it's one of those amazing things just because we, I wasn't planning for it to have this be, be this explosive podcast. It's just something that happened. And it's really, I think is in many ways with just God's sovereignty with really sort of creating something to really bless and really change a lot of people's lives. So, yeah. Have you had any stories of just people that you said there's people that have had similar experiences and they say that chimed with what I experienced, but are there people that you've heard that have come out of those things because of your podcast? Yeah, we had um, uh, things. I'll just give like one example of that. In many ways that it's, if someone's in a cult, one of the aspects of that is usually you're cut off from the outside world. The only literature you're allowed to read is things that are approved by the leader or the governing body, like in the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. One example that was just a real, I remember just being just completely blessed by it was we did a series called Leah Remney and the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
And this is right around when we started. Leo Remini being the Scientology. Yeah, they did three seasons on Scientology and all the series are excellent. I think they're on Netflix right now. Um, or you can, you know, not everyone's a fan of Netflix these days. So if you want to, you could probably download this series on iTunes. But, um, but yeah, so they did an extra bonus series. It was just a one hour segment where they're talking with ex Jehovah's Witnesses. And so we did kind of like a, a critique, sort of, you know, addressing how secularists deal with the world of the cults. They can point out the spiritual abuse happened, but they don't have an ultimate accounting or point of reference for why that's even wrong if you want to put on our presuppositional goggles. But there's a, policy. Um, so we were just talking about I'll just, some of the different examples of spiritual abuses that took place. And I just had a moment to say, give Jeff the floor where he was sort of preaching the gospel to people who experienced spiritual abuse. And so like one of the things that Jeff said at the very end, at the end of all the things he said is that um, he said, and if you just understand if, if you experience this abuse, that wasn't God to begin with. And so there was this lady who messaged us and she had left the watchtower and got completely disfellowshipped from all her friends, all her family, and was just kind of left hung out to dry. And so she had this huge disconnect. And that's one of the heartbreaking things too, is that the majority of people who leave cults usually become atheists and agnostic um, in many ways. And so she just said that it was like when she downloaded our podcast and that moment where Jeff said, that wasn't God to begin with. It was like the Holy Spirit like breathed like life back into her. And she all of a sudden realized like she had like hope, she had like hope again. And that led her to get involved into a church. And so I said, I have the screenshot somewhere, but I remember just being floored by that. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely have gotten different messages, but I think that was one of the most like impactful ones just because in many ways we're trying, like our mission field isn't just obviously people in the cults, but also to Christians, but hopefully even to like to ex-cultists. Yeah. Um, that was one of those, those examples where that happened like in a really cool and amazing way. You guys thread that needle, I think, really well. Yeah. Which is you encourage people onto the truth that mm -hmm. would otherwise just be exhausted with, you know, if you go through that process, you're exhausted with spirituality. Yeah. You know, or what they think of it. But mm -hmm. you guys provide an opportunity for them to put it in its right place and move on to something that's true. So, mm -hmm. that's great. Awesome. A lot of our listeners might be appalled to know that our CEO once stayed in Reading for a time. Jess, yeah. Yeah. would you like to come forward? <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in the Pentecostal world and, mm. you know, Bethel was always like the mecca of great things happening yeah. in God's kingdom and Bill Johnson, self-appointed apostle of Christ who, you know, anything that they, those guys in Bethel say is like equal to the word of God, although... Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that they would say that, but they would mean it. <laughs> uh, so, I grew up thinking that was fantastic and that was my, um, my upbringing and at one point after college, I actually moved to Bethel and lived there for a few months and that was actually the time I had been in Korea for a year listening to a reformed pastor preach, you know, John Piper Light and then moved back to Reading and started going to church there and it was just, I remember walking out one Sunday and calling a friend who was in that same movement and saying, I'm pretty sure they just taught witchcraft. <laughs> like they just said, we should manipulate this person to behave this way. Right. And I thought maybe that's not, not a good thing. And th maybe they should just be preaching out of the Bible. <laughs> and those mm -hmm. when the lights really went too on far. for me. Yeah. 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 Was like too a, much to ask. Are they yeah. saying we should manipulate a non-believer to become a Christian or but, like manipulate a Christian to Start producing 
gold dust or something. No, it was manipulate a non-believer to become a Christian, but it wouldn't okay. have really... Are you talking about when the BSSM students would go out and saying that Jesus is going to heal you and the leg lengthening stuff? No, I mean, that was just an everyday. Electric. That was just like normal life. Right. This, this was Do like longer one legs? step further. I can't even... I've I don't seen the, the specific of it. <laughs> yeah. But it was just like, I knew that what they were saying, they weren't saying pray for this person, pray for them to like give their life to Christ. They were saying... Like we need to, like they were creating a plan to manipulate somebody for the sake of the gospel. And it was like, mm -hmm. yeah, I think we should just trust the Holy Spirit. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, I mean, that was, that was my background. So, it's been really interesting to just, I mean, I've shared that Lindsay Davis episode mm -hmm. with a lot of my family and I think the lights are turning on with a lot of people in that movement right. because of your show, which has been really, it's just a nice resource. You guys are a great resource. Awesome. Awesome. In fact, uh, Jake. Uh, Litwin, who's part of part of the uh, Don't Creative Agency, part of the Don Squad, another recurring guest. Of yes. Calls. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's teaching uh, class. He has a couple classes. He helps teaches at Logos. And what's cool is that he's starting to have them listen to cultish. And a lot of the high school students are really digging the content, which is awesome because in many ways that you know there's nothing new under the sun. And in many ways, like I remember being their age when i was first getting into uh, apologetics and trying to make sense of what i believe were versus what all the different claims of all these opposing worldview and ideas were so just to hear that was so encouraging to me just to know that, that there's those younger kids who are just still really digging the content and really doing it in such a way that gets them to think yeah um that and that's really the biggest thing that i think one of you know i've tried to do since the beginning of the podcast so that's been really really cool yeah what, uh, in terms of if people were to walk up to you and be like, hey, I've never listened, tell me what, what's the episode I need to tune into? What, what would you tell them? The episode? Oh, man. <laughs> like, where do I start if I'm on a cult, if I'm going to do a cultish? Probably depends who you know, right? Yeah. Like, who's in your world? Really? I mean, if they've never listened to it before, I would just say go to our first four episodes because that, that kind of, when we did it, we tried to do like a broad variety of topics. We want to kind of deal with the controversial stuff they're like we wanted anything that's taboo or just as as dark as it is we want to shed light on it so the very first episode was called ground zero zero jonestown where we went into the it's called the jonestown death tape so in many ways the drink the kool-aid has just been sort of this cultural phrase but if you get down to like what actually took place that day it, it's horrific so we went through there's this 45 minute tape of the entire, nearly the entire process of what happened. And so we kind of took clips from there, the least graphic clips that we could play and gave commentary on it. And so, yeah, so I mean, I think I would say that we did. And in that we had someone who's a former ex, uh, former Scientologist who was kind of in the hierarchy of being an auditor. Um, and I can't remember her, what her exact role was, but she had this kind of a crazy story where they left and they were spying on this one church because they were speaking bad about them, but they heard, yeah, and, and, but they had, they ended up leaving the church. They had a contract put out in their life and it's just, it's a pretty crazy story. So yeah, I would say just the first four episodes of the earlier ones. Um, so yeah, I mean, just whatever, look through them, whatever uh, gets through it. I think, well, usually what happens too is that most of the people who get a hold of us, they find our podcast and they just binge through it. So I would just say, look through it. Find, find, calls. find out what you <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> find out what you like. And just more than likely, you'll probably start binging through, through the rest of them because that tends to be what people do. 
when they listen to the podcast. I'd be curious because as I was mentioning earlier, in terms of uh, with the Tom DeLong and other things like that, yeah. conversations we were having where it was like, oh shoot, like I need to, number one, it was like an indictment on like how I see the world in general. Yeah. Like, and I have those categories and I have my Bible and everything else. Is there books or things that you would recommend to people in terms of like, how do you juice up your view of the world? Um, just, Does that make sense? Yeah, just for understanding like the world of just the cults in general. I think, you know, if you want to just go, I mean, just read through the introductory of Kingdom of the Cults. Uh, okay. the very, it's, uh, Waltemar did a really good basis for defining terms. And so that's really good for having a biblical framework for that. Also, I think the first two chapters of a subbook that Jill Martin wrote, which is really a compilation of his sermons and a lot of his lectures on the different topics of the occult. But the first two chapters, he spends, he kind of lays out a biblical foundation for the different dimensional realms of like why these crazy supernatural things happen. So I think those are, those are really good. There's also an excellent small resource, and I believe that you can probably still get it on Amazon. It's called Out of the Cults and Into the Church. And it's a really good point of reference, too, if you have someone who's an ex-cultist, who, someone who leaves and they're now a Christian, because many of them have a lot of real struggles. And the majority of people, even if they get out of a cult and they legitimately come to Christ, a lot of them don't get plugged into the local church because they just have a lot of baggage that comes with that. And usually that needs a lot of understanding and like helping them through that process. So I think those are like, those are three books that are really, that are really good uh, for the very beginning of it. Okay. Also, if you want to get a small, a, a more concise book, uh, Second Coming of the New Age by Stephen Bancars is also a really good okay. resource uh, for that. He's, yeah, he's guess, been a guest right? a couple of times. So if you go yeah. to the first episode with Stephen Bancars, we talk. That's right when he released his book. So that's also a okay. really good resource, and especially, you know, especially for the young, uh, any of of the younger folk, as I would say. And it's and it's cool too, just because in many ways that a lot of the culture here at Christ Church and in Canada is just such a great emphasis and appreciation they have for you know raising up children and the family government. But in many ways, a lot of them are gonna, are going to have friends and neighbors that the more secularized things get they're probably going to in some way are going to be exposed to something to do with whether it's microdosing or mediumship or astral projection or a lot of really these fringe topics that are becoming the norm. And a book like Second Coming of the New Age is really good for kind of explaining from scripture a lot of bite-sized pieces. How do we actually respond and make sense of these things in a Christian worldview? Right. I mean, I would imagine that's something that a lot of parents are going to be facing is not only it could come from the schools. But it's definitely going to come from oh, yeah. their peers. Like if they, I mean, first of all, pull your kids out of public school. But if they're in there, they're going to be exposed mm-hmm. to this stuff. And they're going to come home to Christian parents and say, hey, yada, yada, yada. And if the parent's reaction is like, oh, that's like dumb, that's not real. And the kid's thinking, well, right. it is real. And my parents are just rejecting reality. What else are they rejecting? And that could cause more stumbling blocks than just taking it yeah, head on. Yeah, and I'll give you, I'll just give you two examples is... um. There was, uh, I remember there, yeah, so when I, I think I was around 11 years old, uh, I was friends with my next door neighbor. We would go over to his house, I'll go to his house, play Super Nintendo, and, you know, we would also would just hang out, watch movies and do whatever. And one time he came, uh, I came to his house and he was started just opening up to me about how he went to his friend's house and they had a Ouija board. They've been playing together with it. And he, how he started... And this is a case of there's any sensitive ears uh, regarding this. Just, just I want to just tell it like it is. But 
this is me as an 11 year old boy and he's talking about how he was playing him and his friends were playing with this ouija board and he started having messages being written all over his wall with human blood and entrails and talking about things that were graphic including things of murder and things that they were just and he said it was a direct result and after that they were scared and they they put away the ouija board and so i didn't know how to make sense of it and he was being completely i then this kid was a he was a, a teller of tall tales. Like he was known for just being lying and manipulative. So it was one of those times, even as an 11 year old boy, I knew that he was being sincere. And so, and in gut instinct is like that, whatever that is, that's bad. And so the entrails would yeah, probably, yeah. Probably and so here I am as, here I am as a, as a young kid, you know, being sheltered, being homeschooled and, you know, in many ways, in good ways, not going to public school and, and, but here I am just going next door and I'm exposed to this. Uh, and another example too, um, you know, my, my parents did a lot of good, had did a lot of good things and, and we all have parents and things they do good and things, you know, not as good. So in many ways, I always, you know, want to honor your parents for sure. But I just remember what, there was a point where I was at the local library and I started getting into, remember, do you remember the books called Choose Your Own Adventure? Yep. So there is these books that were kind of like the next level of Choose Your Own Adventure called the Chronicles of Lone Wolf. And it was kind of this fantasy, kind of like very Dungeons and Dragons kind of things where it's kind of like a choose your own adventure, but it's like a deeper level where if you fight there, you have this whole combat system where you like, you had to play the honor system. We had to like the roll the dice and it was all point based and everything, but there's a skills that you could, could acquire. And then one of the skills was the skill of divination. And so for me, like I had no idea like what that even was. And so I didn't have a point of reference for that. And so then my dad came in and was really upset at me and scolded me that I had gotten this book and how divination was evil. And that's all it was. And I wasn't like, I need to take those books back to the library. I'm not allowed to bring it. I'm not allowed to read those anymore. It's like, okay, well, great. I still have no idea what it even is or why that's a bad thing or how that even relates to the gospel. It was just that you're in trouble. You did something bad. So, and I'm not saying it in any way to, you know, dishonor my parents in any ways. This is just a point this is just an experience that I had. And I guess I'm just sharing that for anyone who's there in the audience. Like this is stuff that I was exposed to and more than likely your kids are going to be. So you should think through about how do I explain too much the gospel to my children in light of what biblically a Christian worldview says about these things in a way, in a tangible way that they can understand. So that's just something that I think is really important, especially for parents to consider uh, the where, where especially where things are right now. So you should have that hideous strength memorized. Yeah, all of the ransom yeah. trilogy. Force, you have anything to add? That little story just made me think. It's easy to say, you know, well, like witchcraft divination, it's bad, and just yeah. leave it there. Which can can oftentimes it seems like give it this kind of more powerful tang to allure, it, this yeah. little like allure. Oh, it's like I don't know what it is, but it's bad. So it must be it must be fun, and I'm mm-hmm. not allowed to do it, or it must be you know powerful, and I'm not allowed to do it. Whatever. But I think the thing I think the thing that C.S. Lewis really nails home, like straight mm-hmm. to your gut, is is that yeah, divination, witchcraft, those things are bad, but also what Christ has to offer is better on right. every level. So that like, so it's not just divination is bad, but it's also bad because it doesn't work yeah. that well. So like, it's like it's like rejecting the bitter and choosing mm-hmm. the sweet. Like, divination is bad, and and it's just and it's here's the yeah. better alternative, and then being able to point to scripture and saying like yeah all this stuff right. is real depending on what story it is whatever but it's real and here's how mm-hmm. christ is king of all of it 
you know, to be plugged into the, I guess for lack of a better term, plugged yeah. into like the king of the entire cosmos. Mm -hmm. It's like anytime you're shooting for, um, you know, witchcraft, divination, UFOs, whatever it is, it's always after a creature. It's never after the yeah. creator. So like, I think what you said, and even just the attitude of when you were talking about Tom DeLonge going out with his lawn chair yeah. in the middle of the desert. Yeah. And it's like, it's simply a waste of time if it works. Like if it works right. and you do it and you have the experience, like Ephesians tells us, and you quoted half of Ephesians in terms of like, no, Christ was exalted above it. And Paul says, and by the way, you also, the mm -hmm. Ephesian church right. are exalted way above them. So it's almost like what impotent is the exact, like is the best right. way to say it. Well, and in preparation for this podcast, I listened to some Tom DeLonge and Angels yeah. and Airways. Oh, dude. <laughs> I used to, their first two <laughs> albums so, are so good. I know. Well, the, I, yeah. The, <laughs> the reason they're so good is because you listen to them and you're like, and you listen, you read the lyrics and things and it's all goofy mm -hmm. new age stuff. But the sound that he gets out of his voice and his instruments, it like embodies longing for oh, yeah. meaning. Like he is Tom DeLonging, you know? He's just... <laughs> okay. <Sorry. Yeah. laughs> All right. That wraps up this episode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I don't... I had no idea how long this even goes for. I mean, I'll go we as long can, as you guys want to go for. We can drain. No, it's, yeah. it's fine. No, it's, if it, Forrest does another pun, we'll end it. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> so, like, one thing I do also just want to emphasize, too, is that in many ways, too, that while the aspects of the fringe and the paranormal, they're, they're spiritually dangerous in many ways that it opens up things that are real, but that, and a lot of times people will get knowledge and those, and, and all the things that are accurate, but that knowledge or those forces of their ability to do whatever they're doing, depending on what occult, occultic practice that you're doing, is being achieved by satanic and demonic power. The same way, if you just look at the story in Exodus, when Aaron threw down the staff and the rod, and all of a sudden that rod turned into a snake, emulated God's miracles. But those as practitioners of, of dark arts, they, as magicians, they did that. Like they emulated God's miracles. So yeah, in the same way that it's, it's, it's false light, but in many ways, as, as dangerous as that is, there's an aspect where we shouldn't, for people who are into the new age, you know, we shouldn't fear them or look down on them. Like you need to realize that they are people made in the image of God, just like us. And, you know, except for the grace of God, th there we go. And so I think they're just in, in the whole process that there, there is sometimes a tendency in the world of apologetics just to focus on being right or winning the argument. But especially when it comes to people in the new age, they're so really their ultimate kind of point of authority is their experience. They're very experiential. And they're, and they're probably some of the most genuine and sincere people that you know when they're into it. They don't, they don't do it half-hearted. They don't go after any of that stuff half-heartedly. But one of my favorite sort of lines from uh, that's almost like a myth. It's a good, always a good reminder when I hear it. Uh, Walter Martin on one of his lectures at the end. It's always interesting too because whenever he would pray, he'd always pray in King James English. <laughs> uh, but he would he had this line where you know he was talking about people who all the different people he was trying to reach out, and he said. He said, help us to have compassion and the love of Christ for these who are, who are searching out and seeking for help, but not from thee, but from the forces of evil. So he just made a real, uh, just a real point that these people are there. They probably, a lot of people ex ex have experienced some level of like real trauma, real pain, real abandonment. And they, they're create, we're all, we all, we're all create the image of God. 
on a point of reference, Psalm 1611 says, in your right, in your, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. And what they're trying to do, and in many ways, Walter Martin described a lot of the fringe spirituality as becoming just normalized everywhere, really as a spiritual narcotic. No, there's no, it, it doesn't matter what you do. And, you know, when I have uh, Teresa Gentry, who's going to be on our program uh, probably sometime this year, I mean, she did everything under the sun uh, as far as like new age stuff. And it was never enough. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter how much meditation she did, how much sound energy, how many psychoactive substances she, she took. She could never get true peace that only comes through Christ. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's just that's. That's yeah. my biggest takeaway from like coming out of the Pentecostal world. Yeah. Was that there was always longing to connect to God. Mm. It was like all the songs, you go to Bethel and it's just like this longing fest. The lights are down, yeah. the music's going and they just- Angst is high. God, please touch me. Like, take me back to when I was young and things were good and pure. And that's like every Sunday, go back and- Long to in, in, every youth group. God, mm-hmm. worse every youth group, as opposed to like God is with you, right? Like He is He is near. Yeah, like they thought they were being very spiritual and doing that, mm-hmm. but here at Christ Church, you know, Reformed. When I would look at the Reformed people and be like, "Oh man, they're just like not connected to the Holy Spirit." Right. But here we are, and like multiple times this year, Doug's talked about how when we're in church, mm-hmm. we are in heaven worshiping God. Yeah during the sermon, like during the service, we are in heaven. And that like just elevated view, it's far more elevated. Yeah. But yeah, getting away from that longing, it's like God is you gotta, you gotta be You got to be balanced on both sides. You know, I think that there's, there's an aspect too, where you could be, even the reformed world, there's a, there's a, there's a tendency sometimes, sometimes have an emphasis on, and you want to have a biblically level-headed view of of who you are as far as being a sinner saved by grace. But I think there's a time where you can go too far with a wretch like me and referring to yourself as a depraved wretch in the sense that my identity now is in Christ. I'm a, I'm a child of God. And then, you know, you think about what Paul says in Galatians, like I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore I no longer live. Christ lives in me, but he says he loved me and he died for me. So there's a tendency to take it too far that way, but there's also a tendency too in what you experienced it like you have it your only time you're with god is this transcendent yep. euphoric high and you have to i think you have to have an understanding of both that god is there through the good times and and through the bad in fact one of my favorite psalms is psalm 88 where it's just it's just dark it's the equivalent it's the psalm equivalent of hello darkness my old friend <laughs> and at the very end you know he, like most of the psalms will end on i'm just you know even though things are bad God is with me in a sense. Psalm 88 ends on, well, a dark, nothing but darkness encompasses, encompasses and surrounds me. And what's interesting though, in that Psalm as dark as it is, even though he says darkness encom- and, and surrounds me, encompasses and surrounds me, who's he talking to? He's talking to God. And so there's a point in which you can have a basis for understanding suffering. Um, so yeah. No, I think I think the what you mentioned earlier about Psalm 16 and it essentially being that narcotic chase is not uh, you know to uh, to play the hits as we've done this episode of C.S. Lewis's like the witch crawling over yeah. the gate instead of you know or crawling over the fence rather than going right, through the right. gate and you know putting it in that context, seeing it that way, I think helps a lot and mm-hmm. and pitying the person doing that. So 
we'll end there and we'll go to lunch because you've got a uh, a flight to catch. Yep. Got to go back to uh, Arizona. Thanks so much, man, for giving us your time. Yeah. Yeah. Hope to do it again sometime. Yeah, Cheers. Good. Awesome. Awesome.